Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Before we jump into this week's interview, we have a couple announcements from Board Game with Education. First off, we are super excited because our Facebook group is growing. So we are making a call to anyone interested in helping moderate the group. Board Gaming with Education, the community in general, is really starting to grow. And we're looking for some thought leaders in the Board game with Education space or game-based learning or gamification or even educational game design, anything related to what we're doing as a community online to help engage and bring some great ideas to our online community. And those spaces like Facebook and Twitter, we're also going to be launching something really special on our website here for episode 100. So that is a little down the road, but we're getting prepared for that. So if you're interested in becoming a thought leader and helping really push this game-based learning gamification in education, be sure to reach out to us, podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. And as always, thank you for listening. We do really appreciate any time you can give to leave a review on iTunes or any podcasting platform that you listen to the show on. And finally, one last thing before we go into the show, we are hosting events in Los Angeles. So if you are in the Los Angeles area, be sure to like our Facebook page. You'll find those events there. We also have a meetup. So you can find our meetup group online as well. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome to another episode of Board Game with Education. I'm super excited to be joined today by Jay Cormier. He is the designer of Mind Management, Belfort, Junk Art, Rock Paper Wizard. Those are some of the games he's designed or co-designed. And now he is a new publisher. So we're going to talk about ways that he's gamified corporate training, which I think will be really interesting for some educators. Maybe we'll be able to learn how we can apply some of these techniques in our classrooms too. Before we get there, one thing that we're doing is telling you, letting you know, the listener, about a new fun fact or something interesting about our guest, Jay. And he designed the Fail Faster Playtesting Journal. So, Jay, what what is this journal all about? Well, it's kind of funny. I, um, I teach uh, at Vancouver Film School um, game design to students that are going through to learn how to do video game design. And one of their courses, the one they take with me is board games. And through that, um, their final project is creating a final board game. And I have to also being a teacher, mark their process and their progress and see how they have play tested a game. So I kind of created a couple of sheets for them to fill out so I can see what their notes are when they play test. And that got me thinking about, you know, what exactly I need to capture for play testing and the information and from there, I started kind of to, to uh, evolve into a full grown journal with tons of feedback from my local um, design group. And I put on Kickstarter last year and it did almost 500% to uh, the target. And it's now available at thegamecraft.com and through some distribution channels. So it's, yes, pretty amazing. It really guides a game designer through the process of playtesting, keeping track of every single piece of information you need to make sure that you're going to become a better designer ultimately. That's super cool. I think that one thing we talk about on the show, and I'm not sure if it would apply, I would like to learn a little bit more about the journal and maybe recommend some teachers check it out. But one thing we talk about is how game design and 
lesson design can kind of overlap. Overlap. Mm. I guess we don't want to design lessons that fail <laughs> the first time we we introduce them to our students, but maybe there are some takeaways from that journal too. Yeah, I mean, the concept of failing faster is the fact that uh, game design, like a lot of other creative endeavors, you have to iterate over and over and over again. And that's that's another word for failing is iterating. Like you play test something and it fails because nothing is perfect first time out of the gate. And so that's a little tongue in cheek kind of way to, to say it is to fail faster because as faster you can learn what's wrong and then change it, the more, the sooner you'll get it to a more polished state and ready. Really awesome. So you are designer, co-designer of some of these games. Can you give us a more in-depth introduction of who you are and what you do? Yeah, for uh, at least 10 years, I designed all my games with Senfeng Lim. And we did games like Belford and Akrotiri and Dungeons and Dragons, Rock, Paper, Wizard, and a few IP-based games like The Godfather and um, Orphan Black and a few more really cool ones coming out that I'm really excited about. And uh, then recently I've designed uh, with another designer in the Hall of the Mountain King that's now just uh, hitting retail uh, and was on Kickstarter last year. And uh, I did my first game called Draw Your Own Conclusions, which I think we'll talk about later in the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to, to learn more about this too. Um, so I guess, how did you get into game design and now becoming a publisher? What was your game design journey like? I think like everybody that starts game design, it's because you play games and you love games. And then possibly with your buddy, you start talking about a game, about how, why this decision is made and why that. And eventually it turns into a conversation about, we could probably make a better game than this. Yeah, we could. Let's do it. <laughs> and so we, we said and I started and we actually lived in the same city, very close to each other, in fact. And we failed miserably um, at this first attempt. And Ira Glass has a really cool quote that says about how anybody who has an appreciation for a medium, an artistic medium, and they know they know what good is. And so when they then start to join in and start to create in that medium, uh, invariably, their opinion of their own creation is that it it sucks compared to their own standard of what good is. And so unfortunately, what most people do at that point is they quit because they think, well, I guess I'm not supposed to be a singer or an artist or a board game designer. And that's unfortunate because it's only through those experiences of failing and not doing well will you actually gain the experience to eventually be better at that uh, medium. And so we uh, we did we did that exactly. We quit. We gave up. And it wasn't until I actually moved away um, to the other side of the country. We both live in Canada. He lives in Ontario, and I live now in Vancouver, the other side. And uh, it was only because we wanted to stay in contact with each other we thought well why don't we do that through game design we'll we'll design games and use you know the internet to kind of stay in touch and it was through that that we ended up creating dozens of games together <laughs> that's awesome i like that philosophy that you mentioned by ira you said ira glass right yeah 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 really cool i think that's something that maybe maybe why i gave up on writing a long time ago <laughs> you gotta, gotta stick with it if you like it, it. If you don't like yeah. it then that's, that's a different story but if you like it and are not good at it just keep doing it right right yeah i mean a lot of my writing now is is maybe for the blog or the podcast so just a matter of time i think and then game design's kind of taken over the artistic i guess creation mm -hmm. like now. it does suck up a lot of time <laughs> yeah so you mentioned the game draw your own conclusions and one thing we had talked about or you mentioned you used it to teach agile management so 
I am not 100% familiar with agile management, so maybe I should maybe I should play your game. But what is draw your own conclusions about? <laughs> it's uh, I'm I'm actually going to back it up and give you the genesis of how this came to be. Um, so uh, my day job is working for Best Buy Canada, and I work uh, I was working at the time in the training department, and I currently work in the video production department because we used to make a lot of training videos. And eventually, I was like, "Can I just work in the video department? Because that looks really fun." And they let me, so that's pretty fun. But I digress. Um, at one point, a, a person um, came to me and asked for a meeting and I'm like, sure. I didn't know why, but we had a meeting and they're saying we're, they said that they're introducing agile management, which I'll get to in a second. And they need, they're going to be doing a change management course to leaders to try to take them through the understanding of why this will be a good thing. And he asked me if I could help come up with some sort of activity that would help demonstrate that this is better. And so I think we're all familiar with the normal style of management where you have a boss and a boss's boss and a you know manager manager blah 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 and everyone kind of reports up and that's a normal management style and with agile management there is no verticality to it it's really a project by project and it works really well in it based departments where they can say here's this project that we're working on this kind of certain type of code to get this certain thing working on the site i want you three people you're on this this team you figure it out and just do whatever you can to figure this project out. And you don't report up to anybody. You just have to figure it out and get it done. And that's agile management where you take your best people and they work together on it and, and, and they work on one project until it's done. Okay. That's, I mean, that's super interesting. I think too, how you came up with the game, I think really speaks to me in a way. Cause that, that you said that you had to come up with an activity to demonstrate Agile management, which yeah. is essentially what we do in teaching. We create different ways to reinforce learning or to introduce concepts. That's right. And that's where my, I guess, start into game-based learning came from was we had learning. I teach language and we had different learning outcomes I wanted to get my students to meet. And I'm like, well, what kind of activity can I come up with to get there? That's right. So that's super cool. What so what is draw your own conclusions then? So I, I thought about it and I came up with this idea. I'm like, well, what if we had um, a, a kind of a drawing activity? And I, and what if you assigned each person a shape? I said, you're the master of squares, you're circles, you're triangles, you're squiggly lines, etc. And let's say this is the the normal way of management. And one of the challenges some people say with a normal way of management is that things get very siloed. What I mean by that is that while you're working on this part of the project, you pass it off to the next person and you're kind of done with your part and you pass it off. And then the next person has to kind of pick it up and do their part of the project. And then they pass it on and it's not really cohesive, which is one of the benefits of agile management is the entire project is seen from start to finish by the same X amount of people. Um, right. So I said, okay, so you're, you got all these shapes. Um, we're going to start, Let's everyone would say we're going to draw a picture of a, for example, a person walking a dog. Now, this is going to start with the person with the squares. You can draw up to five squares on on your piece of paper, and then you have to pass it to the next person, and they get to draw their shape up to five times, and so on and so forth. But you can't talk to each other. So we did this at multiple tables, and what would happen is by the end of it, it looks like garbage. It's so funny because afterwards, people would talk and kind of complain and be like, 
why did you what is this over here that's that was his head that's his head why would you use a square as a head i'm circled why wouldn't you let me do the circles and it's the exact same kind of talk that people in business would have about about a, a real project why would you do uh, this is my job why are you not doing and and it's very much like pointing fingers and this is your fault not my fault and all this kind of thing and so to, and then we would do it one more time the exact same activity but say you, the exact same restrictions except you can go in any order you want and you can talk as you do it so then it literally is you're the circles you start with the head okay and they're all just chatting and i'll do a body as a, as a square i got a squeaky line i'll do his legs and and then it's done five times faster it looks perfect and everybody's happy that sounds super i guess a uh, very exciting game to play too so it was kind of funny the so the i did that activity and then uh asked him how it went he said it went uh, super well and they still to this day use that same activity for um when they're introducing people to the concept of agile management at best buy canada and um it, w it was like two days before gen con a couple years ago and uh i thought man that that's cool that that works so well and then i thought that's actually kind of like a fun game like that's interesting so i kind of mocked up just a game version of it really quick with very minimal components to it and i placed it tested it that night with my playtest group and they liked it i'm like cool that it worked really well that's neat and it's just the first half of the game you don't do the second half of the game of the uh, activity about <laughs> because that's not the fun part. <laughs> the fun part is the communication <laughs> breakdown. And uh, I pitched it uh, that weekend at Gen Con. And the day after Gen Con, I got a call from Social Sloth Games, Gray Fox Games, saying, yeah, we, we want to sign it. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> it's the fastest ever. So yeah, so the game is that, is that the whole idea of the five shapes and you, everyone contributes to it except for one person. And then that person has to try to guess what it is. If they don't get it, then they can ask for a hint by pointing at one of the specific shapes and say, what is this thing right here? And whoever drew that shape has to say what it is. So it's a cooperative party game. And this is a relatively new game for you and your game design. I guess, oh, library, brand new. Right? Yeah, brand new. I don't even have my copies yet. It's brand new. So I wonder, you mentioned that you really honed in on the fun part of the game. And this is something that we talk about in designing game-based learning for teaching as well, is we want to design something that's like a game that's fun. It, it's a lot of educational games are not fun, so students just disengage. And you have a few game designs under your belt. How, was that like an easy, natural thing to do is take away that part that was not fun? Um, or is that something that you kind of had to really consider a little bit? Um, I think I almost for this one specifically, I immediately knew that the game was the first half that there's not there's no game like there's learning in the second half from a change management perspective of understanding the benefits of agile management. But that's not nobody wants to play a game about that. The game is the communication part so that I pretty much knew that right away. And uh, Sen and I have often had a kind of mantra uh, called follow the fun whenever we're designing a game. and. Basically, no matter what you think your game is when you're designing it, it's only once you play test it and realize where the fun is and what the play testers are saying is fun that uh, will ultimately shape the final product. Right. So do you think there were other challenges when you designed the game as far as looking at it from getting this idea of agile management across or looking at 
honing in on the fun of draw your own conclusions yeah for from an interview perspective this this game is probably so atypical and and it's not going to have a lot of meat to it because it literally was that quick and it's all it's it's unfortunate because it makes it seem like game design is easy and i'm like oh just make a game pitch it on the weekend and you know he signed on the the week after uh that's the only time that's happened to me and it was just i just because i was sparked with that idea boom i got a neat it, it's just kind of everything kind of fit and fell together nicely but otherwise usually games take so many more play tests and iterating and changing and trying to figure out where what part is the most fun uh until you come up with something that that works right i think you make a great point though because if we are surrounding ourselves with like games or design thinking, we are able to come up with something that is kind of in a way an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And that applies to game-based learning too. I think one thing I always say is just as a teacher, if you want to use games in your class, play, play a lot of games. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's easy to uh, correlate any, uh, so many learnings from just actual real games that are out there right so you also do some corporate training as well and one thing you had mentioned is you gamified a corporate training can you tell us a little bit more about this oh yeah sure so working with best buy when i was in my training days um i was always involved uh, responsible for helping to run uh the entire live training events where we'd pull two or three people per store collect them all somewhere in usually toronto and so there'd be three to 500 people and train them up on whatever category that of the people we took, maybe home theater people, for example, and we have a bunch of vendors there. And usually, you know, they go to a bunch of classrooms, sit in, listen for an hour. Uh, they go to the next classroom. And then there, maybe there's a trade show where they walk around in booths and that's kind of it. And that's just rinse, repeat every year. And so eventually I'm like, I have this really cool idea. And it when I pitched it to the executives, they didn't fully get it. But for some reason, I was totally allowed to go ahead with it. And so I did. And so I'd kind of gamified the entire corporate training live event by turning the whole thing into a Zelda-esque adventure. And basically what happened is people walked around with their name tag, plus it had their level um, above their name on a slide out uh, piece of paper. And everyone started at level one. And they would go around at the first day was pretty normal and tame in that they still had to go to these kind of classroom sessions. But if they got there on time to reward people for making sure they got there in time, they would be given these little playing cards. Each one was worth an experience. I printed right on it wasn't it was printed an experience point in a can of Zelda, you know, 8 bit kind of uh, art style. And so they were motivated to kind of make sure they got there on time. And they were also given experience points for participating in class, raising, asking questions, all this kind of stuff. And that was kind of day one. And it was pretty normal. And then day two was the tricky, tricky one because there was no schedule whatsoever. And this was a really hard battle to convince not just my Best Buy executives, but all of the vendors because the vendors actually pay money to um, attend these training events in order to talk to our uh, our, our staff to try to say, Hey, here's the benefits of this brand and blah, 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 blah. And so they, they usually are down to the minute of how much time do I get with each of your associates? And usually we have an answer. You have this many minutes and then they're going to bells going to go. They're going to rotate to the next booth and the trade show or what have you. And this time we had like, uh, I can't give you that. And so, well, how does it work? And so basically 
they started off with in their binder they had a map of the trade show which we called the dungeon and some vendors really took that to heart and actually decorated the booth up to make it look like a dungeon which was so fantastic and um they were also given a side quest and the side quest was um five uh, multiple choice questions uh, about very specific vendors in an area of the uh, trade show and if they chose to do these side quests because they never had to do these side side quests but if they chose to do them they would go to these booths and they would get the information from those booths to be able to answer these multiple choice questions and they weren't really googleable kind of uh questions they were stuff that you would learn at this at this uh booth and so they'd go there they'd answer the questions and then in the middle of the trade show there was this giant thing we called a town portal and they'd go there there'd be some npcs non-player characters uh, there at the town hall and uh, town portal and they would mark them really quickly because it's only five questions a a b b c yeah perfect and they would get that many experience points for how many correct answers they got whenever they got enough experience points they could then trade them in and slide out their level one and slide in a level two and they would level up and every time they leveled up they got to put their name on the back of their previous level put it into a big bowl and that was going to be for a contest at the end of the, of the event where we were giving away a bunch of prizes so they're very motivated to level up from a prizing perspective. Well, where it got really interesting was that on the um, trade show map, the dungeon map, there were some vendors that were highlighted in, in uh, similar colors. And if you visited, say, red, all three red vendors, which were sprinkled around the whole trade show, um, they would stamp it. They would stamp your map saying that, they, that you were visited. And then if you went back to the town portal and showed them your map saying, I got stamps for these three booths, they're like, oh, fantastic. And they would give you a, a playing card that had a picture of a key and a hotel room, because this took place in a hotel, and a hotel room and a time. So at 2.10 p.m. today, go to this hotel room. Here's the key. And they're like, whoa, what's this? And I'm so, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. And there was multiple of these kind of uh, things they could do. So they would they would go at two ten, and whoever else accomplished this goal, well, that was that would show up at the same time. So they they weren't necessarily with their buddies at this time. They were with whoever accomplished the goal and got the two ten um, key. So when they got there and they got in this room, those same three vendors were in the room. And what the great thing about this was, this is the first and only time we've ever been able to validate learning that happened at the event. Oftentimes we'd validate learning after the event by doing some sort of quiz to see if there was retention. Um, right. This we actually were validating at the event and they would, what they would do is they would ask questions about things that they learned at their booths. And the gamified aspect of it was there was, this was, we called this a boss battle. So when they came in the room, there was a giant pixelated art um, picture of a Zelda type boss monster. And they came up and they had 10 minutes on a clock because everything was every 10 minutes was rotating. A new group was coming the next the next thing. And they would be asked a question individually, one at a time. And you had to, to answer that question. And if you answered it correctly, and it was all things you learned and you should have learned at their booth. So if you paid attention, it was pretty easy. If you got it correct, you were given this little kind of fridge magnet and you had to stand a certain distance away from this monster. And the higher your level, that you were the closer you could stand to this monster and you would throw it at the monster. And if it stuck to the, to the magnetic board, um, well, steel board, the things were magnets, but it stuck, but also, um, hit the monster, you would remove one of its hearts and it had all these hearts at the top. It's life. And 
you would just keep doing this and people would then keep asking questions and answering questions and throwing. And there was even other areas on the board that was a, um, a counterattack. So if you actually accidentally hit that area, then you got hit and you lost one of your hearts and you could find around in, in the various places, uh, a bow and arrow, which gave you extra hits and life potions. And there's all, all this kind of stuff that was going on. But the idea was you would get through this and you would earn a whole bunch of experience points for killing the boss. And again, go back into the uh, town portal and level up, et cetera, et cetera. And it was so phenomenal and so engaging. The VP of HR at the time told me aside and said, Jay, I've never seen our people so engaged. This is unbelievable. And then even better to me was a person came up to me near the end of the second day. And he's like, Jay, I got to tell you, when you were explaining the rules to this thing on day one, I rolled my eyes. I thought this was so silly, so cheesy. and but as, as I started collecting these experience points, I kind of got I kind of got into it. And he was the first person to get to level 10, which was the max. And and there's only like five people got to level 10. So he's like, man, I was all in. It was so fun. I loved it. And that was like really validating of the format. As cheesy as it seems, once you start really giving a reason to get, in my case, victory point uh, experience points, um, they, they go all in on it and they, everyone loved it. That's super cool. I- I know that when or that experience of the person that rolls their eyes and then ends up loving it, I <laughs> see that happen a lot in games. Is you're explaining a game to someone and they're not they're like, "Oh man, this I don't know about this game," and then they get into it. That's very very typical, I think. What what was really cool too is it seems like the attendees are taking responsibility for their learning, whether it's because they're collaborating in the monster battle or they are wanting to learn or earn those experience points to level up or whether they're just genuinely interested in the learning taking place i think that's super awesome yeah yeah i totally had it and and, uh, for the next two years i did a similar thing but we upgraded it to uh, some technology where we used everyone was given an ipad uh, and then they were still kind of getting points, but now it was digitally and then they could use those points to, and I think the second one was superheroes. So everyone was getting powers to upgrade their own, uh, superpowers to the type of power they wanted so they could defeat the types of boss monsters that existed. It was pretty cool. I can definitely see it be applied to like a school wide setting too. Like if you have, I know we do at the school I'm currently at, we do like fall festival, spring festival, and throughout that festival, students can go around earning those XP points and then going to fight the the fridge monster i guess <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. but imagine that it was throughout the school year they earned the experience points and then was at the festival where they could use spent like have built up their character for that festival oh yeah yeah that would, that would be cool too because for the superhero one they could they could um I can't remember what all the powers were called, but they could get fridge magnets, which would help them defeat anything that had a metallic that needed that. But there's other monsters that were like effectively um, uh, piles of uh, uh, stacks of cans. And so a fridge magnet would not knock over cans. So then you could get a a ball as another upgrade uh, superpower and so on and so on. So there's all these different types of boss monsters that each weapon had its own benefit to. That's awesome. I think, yeah, I, w- I would love to do this at my school. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not not in that position to make decisions just yet. So maybe down the road. Um, and then you also mentioned you do escape room for corporate training. Is that something that came before or after this gamification? Yeah, much, much later. Yeah, that's very recent. It's still current. Um, 
I had an idea. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, Breakout EDU? Yes. Yeah. Maybe you can explain. Yeah, sure. It's like a um, open source escape room in a box is a kind of one way to explain it, where you can go onto a site and you can actually pay and get all the materials if you want from them or you can just here's the materials i'll list them you can go and buy them yourself if you'd rather and then you can buy all these modules so many people have created these modules where that help you teach any uh, so many different types of topics and the idea is that the students in groups you'd, you'd get multiple of these kind of cases and people would be in these mini groups and they're trying to break into the case and unlock locks and, and by solving puzzles but the puzzles are all based on the curriculum that you're trying to teach so it's a pretty cool idea and so uh i took that concept and i said that'd be cool in a corporate setting because escape rooms are pretty cool and hot and everyone likes them but they're really hard to do in a corporate world there's a few corporate escape rooms where uh, i've seen somewhere they have uh you can have up to like 16 people in a room and then maybe they even have the exact same. I've seen this where they have the exact same room beside it. And so you can actually have a race with between your two two groups. But even still, it's up to like 20 to 30 people max. I'm like, how do you do 50, 100, 200 people? You, like, that's just not an option. And then kind of when I merged the idea with a breakout EDU, I'm like, what if we did escape room in a box uh, for corporate? And so I kind of came up with an idea and then I pitched it to a uh, local in, here in Vancouver um training what do you call it corporate training company that other companies come to this company to help them with their uh engagement and and activities and all this kind of stuff and i pitched it to them and they really liked the idea and so then we then i made the game for them and they loved it and it's now one of their staple products where they just offer it all the time and uh it's it's pretty pretty cool idea and then i've done it again for a, another one in toronto another uh, corporate training uh company in toronto so it's a really cool thing. The The first one I did it for was for Engagement Unlimited. And one of the benefits there is that they they tie, they can tie. Some don't care for it. Some just want this as a team building activity where it's just fun. You you, you may or may not learn a little bit about your coworkers. But um, we have done in the past where there's been a debrief afterwards where we actually talk about some of the skills that you gain from, uh, from doing this. And uh, if you, if you want me to elucidate or expand on this, I have a few more points on it. Yeah, definitely. So I guess what would you say is beneficial to the process of doing something like this? Maybe a trainee or someone participating in an escape room. Well, from a learning perspective, I mean, there's so many different ways we could go with it. Um, and we offer this as like whatever you, you want to focus on as a business that hires us, um, we can tailor it for that. For example, one of the, uh, challenges I think I mentioned already in the corporate world is siloing. And so um, just the fact that you're working in your own specific silo, and that's such a perfect training tool is an escape room in a box, because what happens always is that people really, as soon as you, even if you don't say anything that it is a race or that there's a reward or no reward, you don't say it. It's inferred that it's a race and it's inferred that it's a competition. And so when people finish, they, the, the group that finishes celebrates and they sit there. And so it's such a great debrief at the end to be like, okay, so you guys finished. And I'm just wondering, why didn't you go out and help anybody else? Like, what, you know, not tell them the answers, but why not go out and help and see if they, anyone needed any help? No one does that. 
And this, and, and that same goes for everybody else. You guys were really struggling and you're really getting frustrated. You knew that they finished. They were cheering. Why didn't you go ask them for help? And that's such a, a, a key thing in corporate world where people departments just are so siloed and they're like, we can do it. We don't need to ask for help. We're, we're smart. We're good. We can figure it out. And invariably that's not always true. That's super interesting. I haven't really considered that part of it. Yeah. I wonder if that's something that, that needs to be, I guess, educated more or given more education to uh, corporate corporations or people that work in corporations to understand that, it is okay to, to ask, ask for help. Yeah. No, nobody ever does. It's so that's, that's why we get silos though. That's, it's hard to, uh, yeah. Keep everybody on the same page and feeling like you're part of a team. Everyone that's again with agile starts to solve that a little bit more. Whereas the old structure of management, it's we you do your thing and you pass it off. Cause I'm an expert in this and I pass it off and I don't ever touch it again. And they're like, that's super siloing. I know there was a company in the States that we were talking with, and they have a, a sales training program, but they also have a new hire training program and they have some other training programs and all three of them are done by totally different departments and none of them talk to each other. So I'm like, that's so the new hire training people don't know about the sales training. Like, how does that like it's just bizarre how siloed it can get. So what would you what kind of suggestion would you make to someone? Maybe it's a teacher or someone else designing an escape room for their work environment or in a classroom and you mentioned you can kind of tailor it to what you're trying to hit on what are some tips that you might give to someone designing these well i guess i was fortunate enough that we just had to do a theme uh we didn't have to actually like it's there's no actual teaching of these concepts in the game you know what i mean there's there's no aspect of like I don't know, siloing in the game that you read about or talk or talk about. It's just pure theme. And it's only through these activities that afterwards in the debrief, you can talk about uh, with a. So I, as far as if you were to create your own, the, I'm not necessarily fully an expert as far as how to make sure the learning outcomes uh, match with your activities, because now you're talking about the actual puzzles that you're doing would be based around instead of a theme about like trying to deduce this code for this virus, blah, blah, blah. You have to be like, what are the different plant lives and you know, whatever, and whatever you're trying to teach, right. Would have the answers would have to be related to the things you're teaching. So I'm not fully ex expert on that kind of stuff, uh, but another uh, teach out we did a, a debrief we did on one was about change management and uh, about how there's always change. And how we did that is that uh, halfway through the, um, escape room we we told everyone to stop and we paused the clock and we're like can i have one person from every group raise their hand and so they did somebody did i'm like okay everybody the person with your hand you're going to rotate and you're going to move to a new group and go and that's all we said and so now this new person has to come into a group and that that debrief was awesome because it's like hey how did you feel as a new person coming into this new group you felt like totally alone did anybody like kind of catch you up to speed of where you're at mostly no nobody did and then how did you feel when you had this other person come in and 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 also stuff like did the did the person just say oh i know the answer to that that answer is seven or did they walk you through it so you could understand it and there's so many things we could debrief about change management about this happened all the time and how do you feel and that's the benefit of these kind of 
game-based learnings is that you can get the actual emotions of like, this is how I felt during this moment. And was this good or was this bad? And how do we uh, help or prevent that from happening depending on what our outcomes? Right. I, I think you make a very strong point about debriefing though in any learning setting is to kind of go back and see, well, what, what did we take away from this activity or what right. maybe needs to be improved on? Yeah, yeah definitely. All right, so before we move into the final segment, do you have any like last words of advice maybe to a teacher who likes to game design or a game designer who <laughs> maybe is trying to design a game for education? Any advice that you might give them? It's mostly about the outcome, the learning outcomes. And you kind of touched on it as well, but it's um, I've often been asked for to, to come in and like, hey, can you help us create a little fun activity or an icebreaker? And I'm always... I always ask them, I'm like, well, what's the topic about? Like, what are you talking about? How I want to make the icebreaker relevant. Uh, and maybe there's an even aha moment that can come from that. And like, oh, that's just like our icebreaker. Interesting. So always consider the learning outcomes because every you shouldn't just have a game for a game sake. And this it's fun. That's that's OK. That's that's maybe entry level, like fine, because it's still fun and you're still getting some out of it. But it's just so much more impactful if you get an aha moment where people like connect. You're like, oh, yeah, I felt that way at that moment. And I can see now why other people would feel like, OK, I'm going to do this differently now from now on. So that's that's my advice. Yeah, I really like that. I like the I mean, icebreakers can be not something that everyone wants to participate in. But if you're able to create an engaging one that also ties into the overall like theme or idea that you're trying to get across in the training is super impactful, I think, too. We're going to move into the final segment, and this is a thumbs up, thumbs down, quick lightning round. So I'm going to give you a couple statements <laughs> or a few statements, actually, and you're going to say thumbs up you because you like it and give me a brief reason why or thumbs down because you don't like it <laughs> and a brief reason why. So the first one, online multiplayer video games. Um, I mean, I guess a thumbs down from me. I don't mind that they exist. I don't mind that people play them. That's fine. But I don't play them because, uh, A, I'm more of a social person, meaning uh, the reason I play any kind of game, including video games, is because I like playing with people like fr my friends. And playing online with strangers is weird to me mostly because uh, I'm not as good as anybody else online. So I get intimidated. I'm like, well, why do I even bother playing? Um, I have once in a while played with some friends, but it's hard to organize schedules and whatnot. So that's, but sitting on my couch, uh, that's my favorite type of video and playing multiplayer is sitting on my couch. Yeah. The couch co-ops. I, I love couch co-ops too. <laughs> Collaborative board games. A cooperative. Co cooperative yeah corporate i think we were talking about corporations <laughs> yeah, yeah cooperative board games oh that's it uh thumbs up yeah i mean there's definitely some um challenges of a alpha gaming or or um quarterbacking it's called where the more dominant voice of the group can steer the entire game and basically they're the only one playing the game is potentially an issue with some cooperative games but uh, maybe a don't play those kind of people or b um most people aren't like that but that is just an issue sometimes but b it's such a great 
concept for a game, especially for people that aren't as gamery uh, into the whole gaming se- uh, scene that they, together we can all make decisions and it feels way more uh, welcoming. And I, I got two people that aren't into games very much to play Pandemic Legacy with me. And they loved it because it was such a great cooperative event where we could walk through it all together and nobody's trying to kill you or attack you, you know? <laughs> Except for the, the virus and some other exactly, things yeah. that I don't want to spoil. But... Yeah, but we're, we're all in it together, so it was great. Right, right. Uh, next one, digital-based board games. Uh, I don't mind it, and I have to say that because I have a few. Uh, one out and a couple more coming out. <laughs> uh, but... My caveat is that it I don't mind app assisted games. Uh, I think if if it warrants it and it's interesting and it adds to it and it makes it awesome and cool, uh, that's that's cool. The challenge, of course, is that if the app isn't supported in two years or three years or one year when the operating system is upgraded, then if you have a non-functioning game, then that's that's a challenge. That's not good. Um, So we're i have a game coming out where i'm i'm the i'm publishing a game for the first time and it's called mind management the psychic espionage game and it has doesn't have an app at all it's a normal game normal board game with normal pieces cardboard and whatnot however uh because it's a one versus many game we're thinking we are going to be putting a stretch goal at a pretty high dollar amount um to unlock a solo slash co-op mode to the game but that would be app assisted to and that app would play as the one of the one versus many aspects. So cooperatively you could play against the app. And I think that is fine because even if that app isn't supported five years from now, because I I'm an idiot or whatever, um, then uh, you still have the base game that is functions totally fine. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest challenges, right? There's the, the development of, or keeping up with the app Support, and, the, yeah, and, the phones yeah. and yeah. Yeah. All right, the next one, we got two more, Escape Rooms. <laughs> Thumbs up for me. <laughs> I My challenge with Escape Room days, though, is that there's because they're kind of an easy business to start up, they just popped up all over the place. And the a lot of them are just puzzle rooms. And I really don't like Escape Rooms where it's just puzzle after puzzle and I have no idea how or why they're connected thematically. And the, the theme is you're in a prison or you're in a wherever you're in a submarine or something. But I, I have to ask myself, I'm like, who who made these puzzles? I'm not talking specifically in real life. I'm talking about in this game. Like, why are there puzzles to get to this through this door? Like who would, it, that always bugs me. And I, I it's only the ones where they actually try to go through the process of like, oh, you are thieves and you're trying to steal this art painting and that's why there's these you know laser beams and that's why you have to try to figure out how to turn off the laser beam all that stuff then starts to make really immersive and way more fun right i think that can lead to a frustrating experience for sure when it's just a bunch of puzzles in a room (laughs) which i would say the majority of them are uh, at least of the ones i experienced yeah, it's, I like to do my due diligence and research to make sure because they are they're quite pricey now, especially yeah. here in Los Angeles. They can be be a bit expensive, but which is why the whole escape room in a box board games kind of phenomenon took off over the last few years where right. ex- exit and unlock and whatnot. Uh, and um, Sen and I actually have a couple of those coming out this year. Yeah, and those are definitely worth it because it's it's something depending on the, the line you get, you might be able to play it multiple times with 
like send it give it to a new group of people to yeah. try out or it's just worth it for that one time even because you're playing yeah with it's 25 30 and... bucks for yeah. a game right. it sounds expensive to then not play it again after that but when you compare it to an escape room it's like oh that's a super cheap right right all right and the last one and feel free to throw in any recommendations mm. board game podcasts um this is a tricky one because I appreciate the efforts that all the board game podcasts do. Uh, I just have very little time to listen to any of them. Like, I don't know where people have the time to listen to podcasts. Maybe I'm doing something wrong with my life, but I'm like, <laughs> where do you like, where do you have the time to listen to podcast? Like, I guess maybe when you're doing, I don't know, stuff on the computer and you just have it playing, I guess maybe I should be doing that more. But sometimes I need to focus, I guess. So it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's something that maybe gets built into different habits in our everyday lives. At least for me, I don't listen to as much as I used to. Because when I was in Taiwan, I would walk and take the MRT to, to work. And I would always listen to it. Then. Uh, now that I drive, I just throw on like NPR or just the radio. Because I'm, I don't know. But I, I still make a little bit of time to. Right, right, right. I, I would recommend Meeple Syrup because um, it's a Canadian um show and it's run by my buddy sen and jesse and erica and they, they do a great job and talking about the design more background behind the scenes about the designers and publisher side of things awesome really cool so thank you again jay for coming on the show i know i learned a lot about agile management and had some takeaways on how maybe i can apply some things you've done in corporate training into my class or in different learning environments if someone wanted to reach out to you, where could they find you and what are you working on? Yeah, I mean, you can probably find me on offthepagegames.com is my website. That's the new publishing brand that I just started with uh, my first game, probably on Kickstarter, maybe as you're listening to this, depending on when that is, I guess. And um, that's basically what I'm working on mostly right now is that campaign. Uh, again, go to offthepagegames.com to check that out. And my email is jay at offthepagegames.com. Awesome. Thank you again, Jay, for sharing your time and sharing your insights with us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. I love talking about this kind of stuff. Thank you for listening in this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.